morning. Welcome to Word of Life Chapel this morning. It's great to see you and, and to be together to be able to worship the Lord. Hey, I have a couple of announcements to share with you uh, before we begin our service. Um, the first one is Junior Choir will meet today du during Junior Church. Um, that's going to be in the fellowship hall, and that's for anyone second grade and above. So, Junior Choir in the fellowship hall during Junior Church, second grade and above. Um, the roofing project, thank you so much for all of your contributions, and I don't know if you saw this, but the goal of $3,200 was met to uh, fix Dara's roof. I think that's a praise the Lord for that. That is absolutely fantastic. So exciting to see. Um, there'll be no prayer meeting tonight. Uh, clearances and background checks. Um, anyone involved with any type of children or youth ministry, um, whether that is greeting them as they come in the door or actually teaching them, has to get these clearances and background checks done. They are currently free, so please take time to do that. Um, all the information is here in your bulletin, and Steve would like to make an announcement. I didn't realize you were that tall. Uh, last three weeks, we had done a short series in the Sunday School, Adult Sunday School, and part of it was the American Heritage Series uh, talking about the uh, Founding Fathers and their faith. There has been some interest in the entire series. It's 10 discs long. Um, if you're interested in doing it and a possibility, we're considering the possibility of getting together on a Sunday afternoon while we're here at church, just staying after church, and then maybe going through the series one, uh, from like 12.30 to 2. Um, so if you're interested in that, see me over here after church and we can try and get something established. Thanks. All right. And we also have um, some champions from the fair. And so I thought I would announce that this morning as well. Um, Kelsey Dobbin showed the reserve champion Market Lamb. Let me give her a, a round of applause today. Uh, Ashley showed the Grand Champion Market Steer. <laughs> and Maddie showed the Grand Champion Market Goat. So congratulations to you. That's very exciting. Hey, let's begin our service with a word of prayer this morning. Lord, we just come before you. We thank you, God, that you are God and that you are in control no matter what situations surround us, no matter... Um, Father, what's going on in the world around us? Lord, we thank you for the, the privilege that we have to be able to come and worship you at Word of Life Chapel, Father, to be able to be here and sing your praises, Father, and declare your name. Lord, we ask this morning that everything that is said and done glorifies who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we worship the Lord through song? Yeah. 
that we, we sing how great is our God. So let's, let's sing that chorus together. I don't think we have the words on the screen for that. Maybe we do. Um, and how great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will see how great Our God. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. Oh, we'll see how great. How great is our God. It's the name above all names. Oh, you are worthy of 
Take a moment to greet those around you this morning. Welcome them to Word of Life Chapel. Give them a hug. All right, well, good to see you this morning. It is really a good day today. Um, I do want to announce another accomplishment. Uh, we tried to do that. I just learned this morning that um, Nathan Wilbert, um, he won a trophy in the demolition derby up in uh, Gratz last night. So <laughs> I've never been to, well, I, I think I was years and years and years and years ago. But it sounds like they get a, they're getting a little bit rougher. Um, somebody broke a nose, I think, and somebody had this. And anyway, Nathan's doing fine, though. And we, <laughs> and we congratulate Nathan on his, on his accomplishment. On a serious note, um, this morning, Charlie Bechtel had uh, driven into the church before really most of us were here. Um, he was on his way to take Bonnie to the hospital. Um, she was having some issues last night, had a bad night, uh, some pains, I believe, under one arm, 
um, and some other things. So I don't know if you know it, but this Thursday, uh, Bonnie and Charlie were planning to do a 30-day road trip. Um, just start heading out west and uh, just spend a whole month um, just, you know, looking and going through the country. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be affected by all of this, and I don't know any more details than what I just uh, mentioned, but do pray for Bonnie. Um, she's in the hospital now, the Holy Spirit Hospital, and we're just praying that the Lord would uh, raise her up and grant them the ability to be able to go on this vacation that they've planned. Uh, Dave Booker, uh, keep Dave in prayer. Uh, Dave remains in the hospital. He went in last Monday, this past Monday. As you know, Dave has been having some seizures. Uh, they, now they call them episodes because the medications are uh, decreasing the intensity of those. But he still has the uh, episodes or auras, as he would call them. And so he's all monitored with wires uh, pasted on his uh, scalp, and um, they're trying to locate. I think they have located the area where uh, the problem is. He's had several episodes in the hospital, which was an answer to prayer, uh, because that's what we've been praying for. That's when you can monitor and uh, discover and gather that data. Uh, but they want one more, right, Kim? They're looking for one more of these episodes um, to just gather a little bit more data before they determine, you know, what steps they take to try and, and correct this. So pray for Dave. I'm going to mention him actually in the sermon because I've been referring to Dave as a caged lion. Uh, poor fellow, you know, and you're, you can't leave your hospital room. Um, you know, you're all hooked up to these wires knowing Dave, you know, when he probably thinks of so much there's else there is to do but he can't leave. Um, yeah, I, I think of Dave as a caged lion in this, in this hospital room. So pray for Dave. Pray for that one more episode and pray that he can get home uh, real soon. Many of you have been asking about Wendy Clough. As you know, she had um, major brain surgery uh, to try and remove a tumor uh, that had grown uh, twice its size since May. Um, she still has not really awakened from that surgery. Um, she is beginning to open her eyes a little bit. I think she's wiggling a few toes. But Wendy is, has a long, long journey ahead of her. Uh, we don't know where all this is going. Um, we know one eye she can't see. She can't hear in one ear. There's talk of paralysis on one side. So pray for Wendy. Again, a very sick lady. Uh, again, we don't know when she will uh, be getting out of the hospital, um, but it almost appears as though she would be going to maybe a nursing facility uh, once she does leave, uh, because she's probably going to need some constant care. Um, she's 66 years of age. Um, she's been with us as a church for uh, many, many, many years, and uh, she's just been a big, a big part of Word of Life Chapel, and we're certainly saddened that uh, this has all taken place. So please pray for Wendy um, as you come uh, before the Lord. Let's pray uh, before the choir comes and ministers to us. Father, again, and I know we repeat ourselves often, but Father, it's your throne where we come at times like these. It's that throne where we receive the grace and the mercy.
It's that throne, Lord, where you have asked us to come in times of need. Father, we know how much you love us. Uh, We know how much you care for your children. And so, Lord, when we mention names such as we have uh, just moments ago, we're certainly saddened by these things that we hear. Father, we never expected for Charlie and Bonnie not to be with us this morning. They never expected to be in a hospital on a Sunday morning. And yet, Lord, that's where they are. We do pray for Bonnie. We pray that this was not uh, a, this is not a serious issue. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would raise her up quickly. Uh, we do pray that, Father, somehow they would uh, be able to go on their uh, trip uh, starting this Thursday that they planned for many, many months. But, Father, we want Bonnie to, to get better. We pray that, Lord, you might restore her to full strength. Father, we think of Dave as well, and uh, Father, we're thankful that the doctors have been able to uh, gather the data and the information that that they have already. All of this, Lord, will help, but they're looking for just a little bit more, and we pray that very soon that uh, Dave might have a little bit stronger episode, that they might be able to gather the information they need, that he can return home, and then Father, as they analyze all of this, that they might uh, be able to figure out what needs to be done in order to remove Dave or, or to, to help Dave to not have these um, episodes anymore. So uh, give Kim and Dave great wisdom. I know there are options that will be laid on the table, and uh, Father, they'll have to make a decision. And we pray that, Lord, you would guide them and direct them as as we know you do, as we know, Lord, that you want for them to know your will even more than they want to know it. So reveal that to them, that they do the right thing. Father, for Wendy, uh, again, Lord, we we don't know, Lord, if uh, she'll ever walk through these doors again to fellowship with us, to worship with us. Father, we know that with you nothing is impossible. We know that, Lord, with you, you can can perform great miracles. And, Father, it almost appears, though, that it would would have to be that, Father, in in order for her to come uh, with us once again. Father, we thank you for the progress, although very small and very slow. We pray that, Lord, when she wakes up, or even maybe in the quietness of her mind, that, Father, she might be experiencing your presence, that, know, that she might know how, how much you love and how much you care for her. So, Father, even though the journey is going to be a very long one, we know, Lord, that you go with her, uh, that you go before her, and we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen her as only you're able and we pray that, Lord, in these days ahead that there might be progress and that, Father, you might watch over her. So we commit, Wendy, Lord, in every way to you. Father, we, this morning, we, we begin a new series. Father, we open the pages of the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Father, we know that 
It's not an easy book. It's a difficult book to understand, to figure out. And so we ask, Lord, that you might grant us understanding, help us to be able to figure out what is being said. And then, Lord, as John writes in the opening verses, that we might take it to heart. We might pay clear attention to. That, Lord, we might obey what it says. For, Father, these books have not been given to us to simply gain knowledge, but it's been given to us to change lives. Father, we know that Jesus is coming back, and we've heard in Sunday school that, Lord, we're living in that season when we believe that he is coming back. Father, we pray that it might be soon. As John, as he closes the pages of this book, he says, yes, Lord Jesus, come. Lord, that's the desire of our hearts. It's that we might look into the heavens and see Jesus in the air and be snatched up to be with him forever. What a day that will be. But Lord, until that day, we have much to do here. So keep us faithful. Help us, Lord, as we study your word this morning. Remove the distractions, Lord. We know how much the evil one would want for us to be interrupted, to be distracted, to not focus on this very important book. So I pray that you would help our hearts to be right, that our minds might be focused on the things that are before us. Now, Father, as the choir comes, Use them greatly to lift us into your presence. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
I'll ask you to stand with me as we turn to hymn number 185. 185, lo, he comes with clouds descending. <clears throat> this certainly is relevant to our Sunday school lesson and those messages that we expect from our pastor Bob. I'm going to ask you to pray for our pastor this week. You know, as he mentioned, the book of Revelation is not an easy subject to explain. So let's pray for pastor as he prepares the messages of the coming weeks. Hymn number 185, and also if you're interested in prophecy, I invite you to join us in the fellowship hall for Sunday school. It's very interesting. Now we'll sing, came through the book of Galatians, and when you study a book like Galatians, a book that's very short, um, it contains simple statements of fact, uh, there are some commands, some admonitions. When you move from a book like Galatians to a book like Revelations, it's almost as though we're entering into a foreign country. Uh, if you've ever been to a foreign country, you don't understand the language. You're not quite sure about the culture. And sometimes when we read Revelation, as we had it read to us last night, you feel as though you're entering an unknown world. Last night, as we sat and heard the book of Revelation read through, we saw the big picture. I suggested that as we listen to it being read, that we not 
try to focus on the details, on the trees, but look at the forest. But in this Sunday school hour, and I appreciate Leonard's inviting you over there, we heard an excellent, excellent speaker. And during the series, during worship services, we want to focus on the trees. We read and saw the big picture, and now the trees. One of the key verses, and I think there's a lot of them in the book of Revelation, but one of the key verses, I believe, helps us to understand the structure of the book. As a matter of fact, I see John giving to us in the first chapter in verse 19 an outline of the entire book. In Revelation 1.19, it says this. It says, write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Past present, and future. Chapter 1 is past. Chapters 2 and 3 are present in John's day when he wrote. And starting with chapter 4, we have future events, which makes up most of the book of Revelation. Most of Revelation is prophecy, starting with chapter 4 and moving to chapter 22. Right, he says, what you've seen. We'll look at that this morning. This initial vision of John in chapter 1. Write what is right now. In chapters 2 and 3, there are seven churches mentioned. And John writes about them and to them. What, you will, what will take place later. We'll look at that in the coming weeks. Today, the opening vision of John in chapter 1. I purposely have not included on the screen behind me much of the scripture. I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles. This is a book that promises a great blessing to those who read, those who hear, and those who take it to heart. I encourage you to bring your own Bibles and follow along as we study this together. And so purposely, I have not included much of the reading on the screen behind me. The first point is this, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, verses 1 through 3. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it. Because the time is near. The words I read, it says in the very opening verse, the revelation from Jesus Christ. Some of your translations use the, uses the word of. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And I believe of is probably a good word because 
it can refer to two things. Number one, this is a revelation about Jesus. And we need to understand that. That the book of Revelation is all about Jesus. It is not the revelation of the Apostle John. Some of your Bibles say that in the very beginning. A revelation of John. This is not a revelation of John. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ or about Jesus Christ. Secondly, the word of could be translated from as it is in the verse that I read. Because this is a direct revelation from Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, in these opening verses, it says that he sent an angel to his servant John with direct divine revelation. If you recall, when we studied the book of Galatians, uh, Paul said in the opening chapter of Galatians that what he's writing is not from human origin. He didn't get it from some man. He wasn't taught it from his rabbi, but it was direct revelation from God himself. That's what John is saying. This is the revelation about Jesus and directly from Jesus himself. John mentions himself, as letters are often, often will do, uh, as the author. Uh, this is the Apostle John. This is not John the Baptist who took Jesus down to the Jordan River and baptized him. It's not that John. This is the disciple John. This was uh, the John of Peter, James, and John. Uh, this was the disciple that we read in the Gospels that, that Jesus loved. This is the disciple that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he, he, he looked and he saw John standing there. And he saw his mother Mary standing there and committed Mary into John's hands. It's this John that has been chosen to write this book. It's been 60 years since John saw Jesus on the cross. 60 years have gone by. John now, and I hesitate to say this because we have someone in our congregation, I think we have a couple in our congregation of about the same age. I hate to, or I hesitate to say that John was an old man, but he is about 90. Sorry for those of you who have hit that milestone. But John is an elder. He's an older man. He's 90 years of age. He pastored the church in Ephesus for a number of years. And then we read later, and we'll read this later, he's on an island called Patmos. He's on an island called Patmos. You see, John, as he pastored that church in Ephesus, he preached the gospel, that gospel that we studied in Galatians, that gospel that says that you're saved by grace and through faith. And John, because he was faithful to God and faithful to the word of God, he was taken prisoner for his faith. And he was taken to an island called Patmos. I think we have a, um, a map. Um, we're going to see in a moment, and you can't really see it too well, but you see these little red dots 
These are the seven churches to whom John writes. But you notice right here, there's the Aegean Sea. Well, most believe that right here is Ephesus, this first dot here down to your uh, southwest. Um, and right off of the coast of Ephesus, there is this island. And most believe that this is Patmos. It's a volcanic island. It's an island in which the notorious criminals were sent. It's an island that is barren. It's an island much like Alcatraz in San Francisco. It's an island surrounded by water. And as I understand it, there, it was a, a shark-infested uh, body of water. Once you were on that island, you didn't want to escape. There's no way to escape. And John finds himself surrounded by these notorious criminals, murderers, thieves, all because he preached the gospel in a church called Ephesus. And then the blessing in verse 3. There's a blessing that is given to those who read this book, to those who hear it, and those who take it to heart. And I believe that the blessing is a blessing in a public setting. Not a private setting. Not that God won't bless you if you read this at home. But we have to remember something. When John was writing, they didn't have Bibles like you have Bibles. In congregations, the pastor had this scroll as he opened it, and he would read it aloud to his congregation. So this was not a private thing. The blessing, I believe, is for a public gathering, such as this one this morning. Blessed are those who read, those who hear, and those who take to heart what is written in it. Because the time is near. The time is near. You know, God wants every generation, every generation to expect Christ's return in their lifetime. We believe that the return of Christ is imminent. That means he could come at any moment. Christ could come back before this day is over. Christ could be, come back before we get home this morning. That's what we believe, that at any moment Christ could come back. The Bible does not say when, but the certainty is never questioned. And believers are constantly admonished to watch. To watch and wait. In James chapter 5, he speaks of a farmer that waits for the coming crop. In James chapter 5 and verse 7, James says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. The Lord's coming is near. James expected the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And this teaching arises because the Bible continually says that the time is near, that we're living in these last days. These are the end times. And the next great event, the next great event in, in redemptive history 
is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Well, John goes on to say in verse 4, down through verse 8, he gives us the testimony of Christ's work. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests, to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who, who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. John gives us the testimony of Christ's work. We also see that he writes there in verse 4, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. These were historical churches. They're named for us over in uh, verse 11. He says, write on a scroll and send it to the seven churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Uh, we show you the map once again, and all of these churches are right here, all with the red dots. It's interesting because right here, uh, south, the southwest dot, that's Ephesus, and he uh, says that this letter, this scroll, is to be circulated. Start with Ephesus, move north, and it's, you move sort of in a clockwise uh, rotation. You start here, uh, drop it off here to here, and come down this way. These are the seven churches to whom he writes. This letter, uh, or this, this book of prophecy, starts out much like a letter, because he's writing to the seven churches. Uh, when Paul wrote to uh, the churches in Galatia, he wrote to churches. And the thought was that once the churches in Galatia gets this letter from Paul, it's to be circulated. It goes from church to church to church. They didn't have copy machines, so they had to circulate these letters. Same was the case here. John says, I'm writing to these seven churches in Asia Minor. Starts with Ephesus. Once you've read it, pastor, whoever that pastor is going to be, who followed John, uh, because John now is on the island writing, uh, it was to be sent then to uh, Smyrna, to Pergamum, and so forth. John also speaks here of the work of Christ. He speaks of the work of Christ. Uh, before, before we look at that, let me say this. Um, in chapters 2 and 3, he mentions the seven churches, and he says a little bit about each one. I've chosen, because we only have seven sermons in this series, not to cover chapters 2 and 3. Um, maybe at a later date we can come back and look at those seven churches, but I, I try to be very selective, uh, taking 22 chapters and reducing it to seven. So I've tried to be selective so that we get a feel for the book of Revelation. But in these chapters 2 and 3, 
Uh, he writes to Ephesus. He writes to Smyrna. He writes to Pergamum and so forth. And as he writes to these churches, there is a, a general pattern. The pattern goes something like this. He starts by commending the church, and then he complains about the church, and then he corrects the church. In other words, he starts by addressing the churches by mentioning their strengths, then he mentions their weaknesses, and then he says, now here's what you need to do about that. Let me just give you an example. Uh, look at chapter 2. We'll look at John's church. John was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. So the first church he addresses is his own church. Think of that. He addresses his own church, and he says in verse 2, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered, you've endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So he begins by, by commending them and mentioning their strengths, but then he talks about their weakness in verse 4. And yet, even though you are strong in these, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. When you first became Christians, you loved Jesus. And now you're moving away from that. So John mentioned their weakness, and then he corrects. Uh, he, he says this is how you correct that problem in verse 5. Consider how far you fall and repent. So in each of these uh, churches that he addresses, that's the general pattern. It's not the case in every church. It diverts and things aren't exactly the same. But by and large, he addresses their strength, their weakness, and then the correction. Now the present work of Christ at the end of verse 5. He says to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. The churches are churches that are being persecuted. John is being persecuted. He's on an island in the sea. These churches are being persecuted. And because of that, John wants them to know that God still loves them. You know, when we go through difficulties and trials and tribulations, uh, you know, one of the things we often think is, where is God in this? Doesn't God really care for me anymore? Doesn't God really love me to allow me to go through this? And so John is writing to these persecuted churches and he wants them to know that, that God still loves them. That God still loves them and has freed them from their sins by his blood. We need to understand that in spite of of all the evil experiences that we go through, in spite of all of the trials and sufferings, God still loves us. He looks at the present work of Christ, and we find that in verse 7. This is a guaranteed promise that Jesus is going to visibly return to the earth. Look, he's coming with, a with the clouds, and every eye will see him. You remember the disciples in the book of Acts? 
in Acts chapter 1, and the disciples are just standing, just gazing up into the clouds that have now hidden Jesus. Jesus has, has ascended, the clouds have now hidden him, and the disciples are just gazing up into heaven. And the angel comes along and says to the disciples, why are you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus that has been taken up into heaven will come in like manner. In other words, he's going to come to earth again. And we believe the fulfillment of that is in Revelation chapter 19. That's the chapter we're going to conclude on in this series. Jesus is coming back. And the Bible says when he comes back, he's coming back to earth. We need to understand something, however, that this, when Jesus, when we speak of the second coming, we speak of it in two phases. There's a first phase, and that's the rapture of the church. And we believe that can happen at any moment. Then there's a, there's a period of seven years of, of tribulation, and then Jesus, at the end of that time of tribulation, comes back riding this great white horse during the campaign or the battle of Armageddon. And so when it says that every eye will see him, it doesn't mean that during the rapture that takes place. There's no indication that every eye is going to see Jesus when we, as his church, are caught up to be with Jesus in the air. But it does say that when he comes back to the earth, in Revelation 19, that every eye will see him. And so shall it be. We read at the end of verse 7, amen. This, this double affirmation that it's a guaranteed promise that Jesus is coming back. When we come to verse 9, we start to enter into the foreign country. <laughs> the book of Revelation is highly, highly symbolic. And we need to understand that to understand this book. Let me read these verses and then we'll come back and we'll try and uh, decipher uh, what we've just read. I, John, in verse 19. This is a picture of Christ in, in his majesty. I, John, your brother and companion in suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on an island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe that reached down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. 
When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. John hears a voice, and he turns around to see this voice who is, who is saying these words. And when he turns around, he, he sees someone standing in the middle of lampstands. Symbolism. Figures of speech. Foreign country. This is where we've entered. We as Word of Life Chapel believers, we are literalists, which means that we, when we read the Bible, we take it at face value. It means exactly what it says. However, being literalists, uh, the literal interpretation of the Bible allows for figurative language. It allows for figurative language. Behind the symbolism is always reality. And that's what we have to discover. I referred to Dave Booker as a caged lion. That's symbolism, right? <laughs> if I said to you, I went down to the hospital and I saw a lion in a cage, you would say to me, You're, you know, something is wrong. There are no lions in the Hershey Med Center. There's no cage in the Hershey Med Center. But if you walk into where I said I was, you'd see Dave Booker. Now, you know, I could say to you, Dave is bored to death. But that doesn't stir the emotions, does it? But if I say Dave Booker is like a caged lion, that arouses the emotions, doesn't it? And you know, I don't even have to tell you or explain that. You can see Dave pacing, wanting to get out of there. I could say Dave's bored, or I could say Dave's like a caged lion. That figure of speech has reality behind it. Behind my saying that I went to see a caged lion is Dave Booker. <laughs> Sorry, Tim, but I hope this helps you understand what, is, what I'm trying to say. Because behind the symbolism is something real. Sometimes it's a real person. Sometimes it's a historical event. Sometimes it's a, a trait. But behind the symbolism is something real. So we come to a verse like this one, and we see that there's a figure, and he's surrounded by lampstands. And we say to ourselves, lampstands? I mean, what is this all about? Fortunately for us, at the end of this chapter, John actually 
interprets for us what the lampstands are. And he says there in verse 20, he says the seven lampstands are seven churches. Oh, I see. It's not really lampstands that we're talking about, but we're talking about seven churches. Sometimes Revelation will interpret the symbolism for us. And we wipe our brow and we say, whew, we got through that one. However, this person who's standing in the midst of the lampstands, it's not interpreted for us who this is or what his clothing is all about. Why there is a sword coming out of his mouth, why uh, his eyes, there's blazing fire coming out of his eyes and his, his feet are like bronze. Remember what I just said? Behind the figures of speech and symbolism, there is something very real. There is something very real. Here's a simple rule. If the literal meaning leads to obvi obvious absurdity, it's probably symbolism. If you read something in the Bible and you say, that's absurd, it, it most likely is symbolism. Let me give you an example. In Exodus chapter 19 and verse 4, uh, the Bible says that I carried you on eagles' wings. It's referring to when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. And the Bible says that God carried them on eagles' wings. Now we say to ourselves, that didn't happen, right? I mean, God didn't like somehow airlift all his people in Egyptian bondage and put them on these eagle wings and airlift them out of Egypt. No. What is meant by this is that God, with strength and speed, he delivered his people, almost as if you were to fly them out on eagles' wings. So when we read Scripture and we say, whoa, that just doesn't make any sense, oftentimes we need to look and see. Maybe this is symbolic. Maybe this is a figure of speech. But literal interpretation allows for that. And I think one of the reasons is, is because, as I said, it stirs emotions. I mean, think about Revelation chapter 13, when uh, the Antichrist is, is brought to the forefront. John could have said a dictator. Well, you know, a dictator. But he doesn't say that. He says a beast that has come out of the sea. Doesn't that stir the emotions? Doesn't that say so much more than just saying a dictator? So, although we're literalists, the Bible is filled with symbolism. Let me give you another rule of biblical interpretation. A symbol will have a non-symbolic meaning. A symbol will have a non-symbolic meaning. Behind the symbolism is a person, a historical event, a trait. In this case, we find the attributes of Jesus in the symbolism of the description of this figure in the midst of the lampstands. Now, there's kind of a dead giveaway there in verse 13 because it speaks of someone like a son of man. Uh, Jesus referred to himself uh, throughout the Gospels as the son of man. Back in Daniel, uh, the Messiah is said to be the son of man. And so when we read son of man, that should be a dead giveaway that we're talking about Christ. We're talking about Christ here, but we still have to deal with what he was wearing. 
uh, to help us with that, I want to read Dr. Uh, David Jeremiah. Uh, he helps us understand the symbolism uh, behind uh, these articles of clothing. Uh, this is what he says on page 28. Um, he talks about the flowing robe, and he says that we ought to, and again, here's another rule of biblical interpretation, that uh, we need to compare Scripture with Scripture. Uh, oftentimes when we see symbolism somewhere else in the Bible, we read of that same symbolism, and it's interpreted for us. As I said, son of man. Well, we go back to the Gospels, we go back to Daniel, and we know this refers to Christ himself. The flowing robe. It says he's wearing a, floor, a robe that, that goes all the way down to his feet. Back in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, you remember when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up? And it says that uh, he was seated on a throne high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So here, I believe, the attribute of, of, of Christ with this robe that goes to his feet is that of exaltation. It speaks of a sash across his chest. Well, again, in Isaiah, it says that righteousness will be his belt, the sash around his waist. So the belt probably speaks of righteousness. Again, I believe what is being said here is it's revealing the attributes of Christ. His eyes were like blazing fire. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. These penetrating eyes probably refers to the omniscience of Christ, that he knows all things. His feet were like bronze. All the way through the Bible, bronze or brass refers to judgment. And we know that Jesus comes uh, in Revelation 19, bringing judgment. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters, like that booming Niagara Falls. Out of his mouth is a sharp, double-edged sword. In Hebrews chapter 4, we read of that double-edged sword piercing to the dividing of soul and sunder, the thoughts and attitudes of man. His face is like the shining of the sun. Remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, there in the Gospels, and he took his disciples with him. And there he, his face, his face, the Bible says, it shone like the sun. He was revealing his divine and his glorified nature. So you put all of this together, and it shouts the majesty, the exaltation, the glorification of Jesus Christ. So here is John. John is sitting in prison in his tattered clothes, and he sees the majesty of the man that he walked with in Judea. He did not see the lowly Galilean in the Gospels, but he saw the glorified Christ who was going to come and establish his kingdom forever. He didn't see the dying man on the cross when he was asked to care for Jesus' mother. He saw the resurrected and the exalted 
Lord of Lords, and the King of Kings. And John was electrified. It was like he was frozen in time. And the Bible says he collapses to the ground as if dead, paralyzed. And then he feels a hand on his shoulder and he hears that familiar voice which he's heard many times before and it said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And the reason that Jesus says to John, don't be afraid, is first of all, he says, I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. I'm the alpha. I am the omega. I have no beginning. I have no ending. I am the eternal one, John. John, I am the eternal one. And I hold the keys to death. Someone, as I was reading this week, said that what's being referred to here is that Jesus has absolute control over physical death, and he does. If you've lost a loved one recently, you know what? It's only by divine permission. We have a time that is set in stone. It's God who holds the keys of life and death. And I believe what Jesus is saying here is a theme that runs through this entire book. And it's that God is, is, is in complete control of all the affairs of men. That's a theme that runs from cover to cover. That God is sovereign. That God sits on the throne. That God rules and reigns from that throne. And nothing passes or comes into the life of this world apart from divine permission. And we see that control. We heard that read last night. The complete control of God over the affairs of men. And as John is there on the ground, as he feels that right hand on his shoulder, as he hears that familiar voice, he then hears this in verse 19. Okay, John, now write. Write, therefore, what you've just seen. That's chapter 1. John, what you've just seen, what you've just experienced, write that, John. Not only that, but write what is right now. Write to the seven churches, and then write what will take place later. The glory of Christ is the essence, is in essence the theme of this entire book. The glorification of Christ. The exaltation, the majesty of Christ is, is in essence the theme of this book. Moving progressively to the climax when he comes in great power in great glory. In verse 7 it says, Lo, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. And John concludes this book Back in Revelation 22, and we read, Yes, I am coming soon. And that's almost as though John is replying, Yes, come, Lord Jesus. Father, we're thankful this morning. We're thankful for this book, a powerful book, 
A book, yes, that might be a bit difficult to understand, and yet a book that has been given for our understanding. Father, I pray that you would guide us in these coming weeks as we try to unfold its meaning. But even more than that, Lord, I pray that the soon coming of Jesus might cause us to purify ourselves. Father, John tells us that in one of the little epistles that he writes. The hope of Jesus' return should cause us to live in a pure and righteous way. Father, believing that you might return today. So we thank you, Lord, for our time in your word. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would take your hymn books <coughs> and turn with me to hymn number 183. Christ is coming, let creation. Now, um, we're going to be singing this to the actual tune that we sang the song, the hymn earlier. Uh, it's the tune to, uh, of angels from the realms of glory. Uh, that was a little bit of a mistake until the bulletin was printed and I was going down through and I thought, oh, wow, we're singing this to the same tune. But that's, I guess, okay. I guess that's okay. So stand with me. Uh, we're gonna, you look at page 183, okay? Those are the lyrics, but we're going to sing it to the tune of Angels from the Realms of Glory. Christ is coming, let creation from her groans and travel cease. Let the glorious proclamation, hope restore and faith increase. Christ is coming, Christ is coming, come thou blessed prince of peace. Earth can now <laughs> of thy bitter cross and pain. She shall yet be thy glory when thou comest back to reign. Christ is coming, Christ is coming. Let each heart repeat the strain. Long thine exiles have been far from rest and home and thee, but in heavenly are shining, they their loving Lord shall see. Christ is coming, Christ is coming, haste the joyous jubilee. With that blessed hope before us, let no harp remain unstrung. Let the mighty and chorus onward roll from tongue to tongue. Christ is coming. Come, Lord Jesus, quick. 
Well, Father, we do pray that you might come quickly, and yet, Lord, if you were to hasten your coming, I pray that we as a church would be about our Father's business, that, Father, we might be faithful, that we might be obedient, that we might, Lord, be reaching out to those who desperately need to hear the gospel, that we might be doing in this church what we need to do to help people to grow and mature. So, yes, we do say, come quickly, Lord. But if that day is not right around the corner, Lord, keep us faithful here until that day comes. Father, we thank you for the promise, the promise of your coming. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.